Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for leaders in education brought to you by Central Michigan University, the Center for Charter Schools, a leader in educational choice and options. I'm here with my co-host Janelle. Welcome, Janelle. How are you? Good, good. Glad to be here today. Um, we are very grateful. Um, a guest that um, we are so excited to bring to all of our listeners today, um, the Dean of the College of Education and Human Services at Central Michigan University, which we are so grateful to be a part of and be a partner with um, in our authorizing work. Um, Dean Paula Lancaster is joining us. So um, I will let Orlando share a little bit more about that. Um, just a reminder, if um, if you're a newer listener to the program, all of our episodes are available on our website, which is the centerforcharters.org. Um, we're also available on all of the podcast streaming platforms. So we are um, available in all the places, but really looking forward to um, the great insights that, um, that Dean Lancaster shared with us today. Well, and to that point, Dr. Lancaster, for those listening, wondering, has been a high school special education teacher for eight years. Prior to that, she was the director of teacher education. She's been the she served in the role of department chair at a university and has been a professional professor of special education. So has a rich history uh, in the classroom. In addition to um, having her bachelor's in special education, her master's in curriculum and supervision, a certificate in educational leadership, and a PhD. Uh, in special education from the University of Kansas. So I couldn't imagine a better guest to talk about education and kind of the start of the school year than Dr. Lancaster because of her immense experience. So uh, stay tuned as we prepare for this conversation. Uh, Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for education leaders. Thank you, Dr. Lancaster, for joining us. Um, Central Michigan University is the second larger, largest teacher preparation program in the state of Michigan with more than 300 students annually from 20 different academic areas moving into the state of Michigan. One of the things I think our schools are really interested in hearing is kind of how has the teacher education uh, program evolved in the last 10 years, not only here at CMU, but kind of what you've seen in the state. Um, and, and how do you see that changing over the next few years? Mm. That's a great question. First of all, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to talk with you all. And as I said in one of my emails, um, I could talk about education for hours, days, so we'll have to rein that in. Um, There are definitely ways in which teacher preparation has evolved and changed over the past five years or so. And I can think of three or four specifically. So I'll start by saying that um, Just within the last five to 10 years, we all have learned so much more about the impact of um, trauma on children and young people and what that means in the classroom. And this this understanding, this learning, does not mean that teachers have become therapists. That's, That's not our lane, that's not what we do. But what it does mean is that we have a much better understanding of why children may respond the way they do Um, what approaches we can take as teachers to de-escalate stress, 
um, fear, frustration, any of those types of things that we see in the classroom. So we're taking a much different approach to the way we prepare future teachers to work with and alongside of children and youth and their families and some ways to kind of minimize the effects of stress in their learning and to you know mediate those um, those things that, that students bring to the table that in the past we may not have fully understood. So that's you know kind of a long, somewhat long way of saying that we are focusing much, much more in our preparation programs on the whole child, on social, emotional, and mental well-being in classrooms as well as academics and academic growth. So that's one way for sure. A second change is that we have a much better understanding of the role that our human tendencies as adults, as, as teachers, or just as humans in general, our human tendency toward bias, and what we do with those human tendencies and how our actions in classrooms and in interactions with children and youth um, impact them. So in our preparation programs, we spend considerable amount of time helping our candidates when they enter the program and then throughout the program recognize that their histories, their experiences, their family and community background, all of those things come into the classroom with them. And the same is true for their students. And those things can shape uh, their expectations for the students that they're working with. So, so we're really working on learning how to check ourselves, even as faculty and as leaders, check ourselves and question our reactions and responses. And this is a really significant change also because in the past, you know, for over a decade, well over a decade, probably two decades in teacher preparation, we've been talking about diversity. We've been talking about multicultural education, but that's just it. We've been talking about it. We haven't really provided any tools, any actions, any introspection about what all this knowledge means. So I think, um, you know, I would say that is a second really significant change, and we are indeed working on specific practices and approaches that beginner teachers can take and tools that they can use. Um, so there are two things. A third one is something that um, we've been really actively engaged in here at CMU, as well as many of our partners across the state and in really across the country. And that is the significant change in teacher preparation in that we're taking a much more practice-based approach. So that's kind of the phrase that we use to describe it. Put simply, it means that there's a little bit less talking about teaching and much more doing of teaching throughout the course of the program. You know, we want to see our candidates in classes on campus up doing simulations and rehearsals, building some muscle memory around the work that teachers do so that the first time they lead a discussion isn't when they're in front of children in their classroom. So the first time they organize and facilitate group work isn't <laughs> when they're in the classroom, that they have a chance to try it out a little bit, get some feedback, and kind of self-correct and have those experiences ahead of trying them out in front of kids. And it that's a heavy lift. It has meant that um, we have to change our pedagogies, and I would say we're not fully there yet. Um, but we have identified practices that we're focused on, very specific core teaching practices that we know all teachers do. We're focused on um, teaching them, and we're focused on teaching them in a way that our candidates actually are doing these things in practice. I use the analogy, the basketball analogy, quite a bit. It's the way we used to do it would be similar to if you watched video of a basketball game, 
and maybe we tossed a basketball around the classroom here and there, but and I told you and maybe even showed you how to shoot a basketball. And then all of a sudden, I took you to a gym and there were people in the stands and we gave you a ball and there was a team and said, go play. No one would be prepared for that, but that's sort of the way we have treated teacher preparation in the past. We've talked about it. Now we really want to be doing it so that they're fully ready and prepared. And that's quite the evolution, right? I'm yeah. sure it's an ever-evolving profession, mm-hmm. and, and that could be a challenge, but an exciting opportunity. And in all of these ways, obviously, such big adjustments, you know, that have been made most recently. Um, certainly, the last three years have really, you know, shown a light on, um, you know, future evolution too of of where where we go from there. And that's where I wonder of like what you really see in this next year as we continue one more school year into returning to um, a little little bit more normalcy than we've had the past few years of really how how you have to weave that into preparing teachers for the current environment as well. Yeah, that's a great question too. And I think it, you're right. I mean, the last couple of years have really showed us um, quite a bit quite a bit that we were doing well, you know, how quickly teachers were able to adjust and and do things so dramatically different, but also some flaws and some things that we can do better. I would expect to see um, as much, if not more, community building happening in classrooms um, as we've recognized those social and emotional needs that children have. I would expect to see um, certainly more attention to explicit models of instruction because we know we have to build some skills up Um, So in our preparation, those are the types of things that we're focused on. We understand that when our beginner teachers, when our first-year teachers come into the classrooms, they have to be able to build those um, strong relationships with the students that they're working with. The students need to trust that they're going to be there for them, that they're going to follow through, that they're going to bring their A game as much as they possibly can. Um, But also we know that their instructional skills have to be really honed and um, and and ready to go so that they can deliver strong instruction from day one. Yeah, and that and in that evolution too, certainly I think the education world has always been a little bit more at the forefront of the use of technology mm-hmm. to supplement in these areas. Um, and how, right, obviously the virtual and online learning, but now as we return to in-person learning of kind of where you see that balance of technology falling into that, I'd be interested in your thoughts of kind of the use of technology in that way. In, in preparation, we have you know, a few different options that we're exploring. One of them is the use of um, simulations, so avatar-based simulations that are that happen in real time. So again, uh, candidates can practice things at a very low risk. You know, no one's harmed. They're not harmed. Children aren't harmed. No, no problem there. They can practice things and get a feel for how a human on the other side would react and respond to them. That is wonderful technology that we should be using in education much more often. We see it a lot in health professions. We can do this too. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about that. And I do think that the field was moving toward, you know, with flipped classrooms, they were moving mm-hmm. toward really great use of technology anyway. The beauty of technology with regard to instruction is that it is infinitely patient. So you can put information up there and students can go to it and find it and they can use it as often and as frequently as they need to. But the actual practice in doing an application is so well facilitated by teachers and their peers. And so I would hope and imagine that moving forward, that's what we're gonna see a lot in the classroom. 
fewer and fewer quiet classrooms where children are sitting neat and tidy in their seats listening to information and more classrooms in which they're doing and creating and challenging and debating and those types of things. And I think technology plays an excellent role in that because we can have access and allow access to so much more information by using it that way. So, Dr. Lancaster, you talked a little bit about um, something that we talk with our schools about, which is that idea of continuous improvement and how the university has really taken uh, a look at how we're preparing teachers to be better when they come out of the university, that kind of that idea of continuous improvement. But wondering uh, a little bit about the actual pipeline, because mm-hmm. we know that the pipeline had been constricted for some period of time, uh, not only here at the university, but at universities across the state, kind of wondering what... Um, uh, what is the university doing in this area? What's your vision for how we can ensure uh, enough quality teachers are available for the students that are in need in the state? So one of the specific shortage areas that I feel like we have an opportunity to address is in science and math education. Um, we have the Center for Excellence on STEM Education here. And in that program, um, which serves children and youth by providing a makerspace, by providing lots of really great activities and experiences. But we also have STEM scholars, which are teacher education students who are interested in teaching in STEM fields, but also are interested in innovative ways of instructing. Inquiry-based, project-based, those types of things are, are things that they experience in the STEM center. And the nice thing about Um, the STEM Center is that it does afford us that opportunity to create some pathways. So as young people experience the center and work with our scholars, they understand, oh, I could do what they're doing. I could become a teacher of. And so we have that natural opportunity to build enthusiasm and excitement for teaching um, in that way. And I think we should Um, capitalize on that and continue it in other spaces and places too. As we know, some young people know very early on that they want to become teachers, but we don't give them a whole lot of opportunities to practice or experience that amazing joy that you get when you work with a young person and they learn something. And I feel like if they had the opportunity to kind of get behind the curtain, get on the other side at a young age, they would really stick to it and, and, you know, want to continue on. Yeah, and you've been speaking a little bit more to, right, coming out of that teacher preparation phase, headed into the classroom. Um, We know that teachers are lifelong learners, too, with their love of education. So as they continue to expand that skill set as they're moving through their professional career, I wanted to speak a little bit about the graduate program opportunities that we have here as well. Um, The long tradition of, you know, how many years that we've had, um, you know, education as a focus here at CMU. Um, We're grateful. as an authorizer to be able to offer um, our charter educator tuition program, which provides a 50% discount on um, a few of those online graduate degrees, but just for how grateful we are that that's an opportunity to ensure that our listeners know of the really expansive programming that's available to them in these online graduate degrees. So I don't know if you want to kind of share through some highlights, um, you know, some of the programs um, that you're most excited about that really are teachers that are on the 
ground today in the classroom could take advantage of to come back and continue their education here at CMU? Sure, I would love to talk about our programs. And you know, you mentioned our history since its inception. CMU has been preparing teachers. Um, that's you know how they began. So we do have a range of programs that teachers and um, teaching in your charter schools can take advantage of, and and oh, would so welcome them in the classrooms. Um, in special education, for example, we offer endorsements in learning disabilities, in and autism, in cognitive impairments. And we also offer a, uh, an experimental program in special education for people who don't have a teaching endorsement but would like to pursue special education as a field. They can get a certificate in that area only. Um, it is relatively new, but, um, but we're really excited about it because we know that you know, for some people, they are just, they're set. They know that that's what they want to do. So that's an option. We have our reading and literacy program in which um, educators, teachers who want to really focus and improve their skills or learn more or become experts in their building on literacy and reading in general uh, can pursue that program. We have educational leadership, of course, for those who want to move into administration. And that's both at the building level, but also at the central office level. Uh, recently, we have added to our college, and I'm really excited about this addition, the program, our ESL program, which is called Teaching English Learners, is moving into the College of Education. So we're excited to offer that endorsement program completely online as well. And you know, we have doctoral degrees in, in technology and in leadership, so a real range of potential programs that teachers could pursue. Uh, Dr. Lancaster, you've mentioned a number of times um, special education, and uh, we know based on your vitae, your resume, that special education has been a large portion of your uh, both training and professional career, including being a professor of special education, getting your bachelor's degree in special education, your te- being a high school teacher in special education, and uh, finally, I think, and I probably missed one or two in here, but finally getting your PhD in special education. So I'm wondering, um, what approaches from the special education background might general ed teachers use or apply as they're thinking about coming out of the pandemic and continuing to try and close that teacher, or excuse me, the, um, the student uh, gap that has been created by the pandemic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the idea of thinking about what can we learn from special education that we can apply in the general education world and and vice versa, too, because there's so much we can learn from each other. The first thing that comes to mind is that whole child approach that we typically take in special education. I mean, sure, there's a focus on academic achievement, but there's also a focus on um, emotional uh, well-being and social skills and all those types of things. So that would be one approach, I would say, is just to think about all of the things that the students have experienced throughout the pandemic. And also in special education, over the course of the last couple of decades, there's been a really concerted effort to take a strengths-based focus. So thinking about um, what students bring to the table, what are their strengths and interests and preferences, and how can we build on those to help them grow and um, you know continue on their pathway to high achievement. I think um, one of the key instructional approaches that stands out to me in special education is our focus on explicit instruction. Just really good description, really good explanations, strong models, strong examples 
for students. And I would say that, you know, coming out of the pandemic, that is likely what our students need more than anything is just excellent instruction that's focused on explanation, modeling, examples, and practice. Um, so those are things I would take from you know what we focus on in special education and apply. Having said that, there's so much on the general education side that can that can feed and strengthen and support everything that happens in special education too. We can all benefit each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I want to jump back to you mentioned um, the Center for Excellence in STEM Education. There's several centers here that we're lucky enough to have in the College of Education. Um, one comes to mind. The Literacy Center has been yes. somebody that I believe our schools would be very familiar with from um, professional development events. Can you speak to um, kind of the enhancements that those centers bring? The connections that, that might be there for um, one of you know a K-12 school that's interested in connecting to the university in that way through their staff. Um, of just there's so many opportunities and great things happening in, in all of those areas. Yes, uh, so many opportunities in, in both of those centers. The STEM Center hosts uh, camps all summer long for students, uh, but they also host field trips year-round. So throughout the academic year, there are buses pulling in and out of our, our campus and our parking lot almost on a daily basis. And we would love to have even more schools take advantage of the field trips and the opportunities for kids to come in and experience the maker space, as well as some of the other things that we have. We just added a pollinator garden, which we're really proud of. Um, and so I, I would say that's a great thing to tap into are the field trips and experiences for, for students. But Julie Cunningham, who runs the center, her and her team, they also um, do quite a bit of work with teachers and professional development. And they consult with school districts who might be interested in adding a makerspace to their building. So they have worked with a couple districts in the state who have you know, gone down that path and just really helped them think through um, what they needed and how they were going to use it and, and hosted visits and things of that nature. So it's a great place. And it's it's one of the happy places on campus for sure. You can't can't beat that for a, a place to stop by and, and just be reinvigorated. The Literacy Center, um, well, this summer we hosted a week-long um, professional development experience for teachers. And I know that's part of what um, our new director, um, Dr. Chad Waldron, is introducing some new approaches to engaging with teachers and with our students as well. But this summer was really interesting. I attended one of the sessions that Troy Hicks, who's a faculty member in our college, he was providing on AI and ChatGPT, which I just, you know, I, anything I can learn about it was new learning for me, so I was just really enthralled. But you know, some of the the PD sessions that they hold, um, working with and and training instructional and literacy coaches, are areas of expertise that faculty in our literacy and reading program have. And um, oh, that would those would be some great partnerships as well. Dr. Lancaster, you've also been a founding member of the Michigan Teacher Education Network, uh, which is an organization that's dedicated to disrupting patterns of inequity in teaching and teacher education. Um, can you tell uh, the folks that might be listening to this podcast about that teacher education network, uh, your work with that organization, and um, how they, you know, what what type of partnerships or benefits might be in place for schools that are um, that that might look to partner with that organization? So the Michigan Teacher Education Network came out of work that started, I want to say, in maybe wow twenty. 14 or 2015 and was led by Teaching Works, which is based out of the uh, University of Michigan. And so what happened was a group of us, it started with maybe five educator preparation programs, five or six, 
educator preparation programs committed to meeting on a monthly basis for a day, day and a half. And our intention was to um, kind of launch this practice-based approach to teacher education. We didn't really use the word reform in, prep, in educator preparation, but that's kind of what we were doing. And we spent about three years working together, um, adopting and agreeing on a set of core teaching practices. Um, Dr. Deborah Ball, who was the dean of the School of Education at University of Michigan at the time, led the efforts. and. Um, it continued after the three years and morphed into the Michigan Teacher Education Network. We added and, and we opened up and, and um, grew our membership, teachers, uh, teacher leaders, instructional coaches, more folks from different educator preparation programs. I think we were up to 10. Uh, we're a part of the organization. We held um, conferences. We really worked quite a bit on in, in, in professional learning communities. And so we, over the pandemic, we gathered via Zoom and kind of studied our own educator preparation, looked at problems of practice, talked about them together, worked on them, wrote together, all those types of things. And, and I'm a part of a writing team right now that continues along those lines. What we would like to do moving forward is to um, morph into, this is sort of my dream, so I'm, I'm putting it out there for you all. Um, I would love for the state of Michigan to have a, an organization that truly is representative of all entities that participate in the education of children and youth. We really do not have such an entity in the state. And so what happens is we often are working on things parallel to each other or alongside of each other, but not necessarily communicating. Or we are, um, in fact, competing for limited resources instead of pooling our resources and our, you know, our impact and influence at the same time. Um, sometimes we hear about initiatives that um, we realize, oh, we could have really been of help there, but but we didn't know it was happening. And so there, there are models for this in other states. Ohio has a great model for this, uh, a compact, if you will. Uh, but that's kind of the direction that we're heading is trying to build an organization within the state that brings everybody together in the best interest of children and youth. And if tackling the teacher shortage or even you know making some changes in educator preparation is where we could start that conversation, great. Um, I think you know over time it could it could morph into whatever problems of practice come up. but that's kind of the direction that we're heading and we'd love interested people to join the group and you know share their thinking. And continue to collaborate yes. and and find solutions for for the benefit of students. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, so I wonder, you know, with your robust career in education, like what inspires you this time of year? As we're starting to see more students on campus, you know, online classrooms, you know, no matter the platform, just the activity is starting to to pick back up as we head into the fall. So I just wonder wonder your excitement and insights given the time of year that we're in. It is an amazing time of year. We're, we're coming out of the summer slow period and I, for me I I well let me back up a little bit when I went to the University of Kansas for my doc work um, it was the first year since I'd started my teaching career that I hadn't experienced that fall that fall of being with students and I did not like it I really missed it so I ended up getting a job there working at um, like as an instructor for at a home for adjudicated youth. And that, that brought it back for me. And ever since then, I have reminded myself of how exciting it is when the energy 
the energy on campus just picks up. And it's the same thing in school buildings. You just feel that rise of energy from the students being back. And that's one of the things that I absolutely love about teaching is that they just, they, they being the students, they just make you realize what you're here for and why you're doing the things that you're doing. And um, yeah, they, I, I don't know if they fully understand how much they inspire all of us to do what we do, uh, but they truly do. And I, I think I would say also that, um, you know, we talked a little bit about professional development activities and, and graduate coursework and all those types of things and then collaboration. And the other thing that I love about this field is that I learn something new all the time. And I think we do work um, toward the good of all children in our own spaces and places, but we have so much to teach each other and learn from each other. And so I love the idea of being able to spend time with teachers and just hearing what they're saying and listening to what their lives are like right now and then thinking about, well, how can we do things different in preparation to address those those concerns and those issues and those experiences. So we're all so interconnected, and that's another thing I just love about our field. Absolutely. Well, I know all of the students who are who are about to come back onto campus are in good hands for for the next year. Thank you for everything you do and being you know one small step towards their future in education. Um, we truly appreciate it. We, we more than value our partnership um, as a part of the College of Education. Just want to thank you for all of your time today. So oh, thank you, thank you very much. I have so appreciated having this opportunity to chat with you all, and believe me, we appreciate everything that you all do too on behalf of our children communities the state everyone so thank you 